Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, um, a person who knows that we can leave for the next generation. We can, yes, we can leave for the next generation a thriving, vital, sustainable, healthy, and just place. We can create regenerative ways of living, which brings more abundance to everyone, including all sentient beings chickens, plants, humans, and even microbes in the soil. But it's going to take work. It's going to take a shift. And today's guest, I'm very pleased to have on because he's been working for practical applications toward a regenerative future. So welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Reginardo Haslett-Marquin. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, this is great. It's a beautiful day to be doing this kind of work, and it's a it's the right time. Thank, thanks for the opportunity to have this conversation. Well, and uh, your background is so vast, but um, so start wherever you want to start. Tell us and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, I was born in eastern Guatemala in the, what is called the Dry Corridor. And early in my life, we moved to the northern rainforest, uh, literally looking for water. And yeah, we got enough of it, and. Uh, brought us into a whole new ecosystem where I was lucky enough to be mentored by a lot of the elders and in understanding the the way, you know, we interact and the way all these ecosystems operate. And it was probably the best uh, education I ever got. And then, of course, I, uh, I got really passionate about ecosystems management in the context of food and um and health and so on, health of ecosystems and health of people and the connectivity between all of these different living systems. And so I went to agriculture school and got a degree in agronomy. I learned everything I needed and wanted to know about conventional row cropping and traditional, you know, um, as well as traditional highland indigenous agriculture. And that brought me further into the Universidad de San Carlos where I, I, I completed one year of uh, in the agronomy faculty, and um, then in Minnesota, and then I moved to Minnesota with my wife, where she went to school at the University of Minnesota, and um, I later enrolled at Augsburg University and ended up with a degree in business management, international business management and communications, plus a few other side specialties that I picked up, like a mini MBA at St. Thomas and and other things like that, which completed pretty much all the academic training I needed in order to move into this space where I live now, which is regenerative agriculture and combining all of these ancestral systems and knowledge and wisdom with modern science and technology so that we may achieve our graded um, our outcome for common good. And we're going to deep dive, uh, talk more about your background, but I want to talk now about what you're currently doing with tree range chickens. So um, share <clears throat> share with this. This is a newer change for you. Yeah, I mean it's a newer, literally a newer perch in a larger ecosystem we call regenerative poultry systems. And so for the last, um, well, for the last five years, I have been focused on building the business ecosystem to support the launch and scalability of a poultry uh, production model that I had been working on since I was very young in Guatemala. We brought a lot of that in, that ancestral knowledge and indigenous ways of thinking and doing things into this Midwest ecology where, where I have worked on 
literally engineering the agronomics and the specifications of a different model for how we can base the production of poultry on a, on a system that returns them back to their natural habitat, meaning jungle-like conditions. And despite the winter here, during the summer, we can we can recreate those ancestral environments where poultry has thrived for for millions of years. And so, so this um, this work culminated um, a while ago in terms of the just the research and development. And then I moved on to building the backbone business infrastructure, starting with the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance, which I founded in 2018. We launched it in 2019, and it became the, the backbone institution of the Regenerative Poultry System, now going beyond production and into building the actual business ecosystem and assembling all the other system components, such as processing of chickens, um, agronomics, beyond the fundamentals, uh, turning those all of that agronomical knowledge and, and rediscovery into a curriculum that is now um, online for any farmer to to take under the regionpoultry.com. Then uh, moving into building a premier farm where we can demonstrate this system, which is the farm I bought two years ago and is now being deployed. We're deploying it as the premier demonstration site and then training farmers. As we did all of that backbone system level infrastructure building and development, then the the last cog of that ecosystem is, well, I mean, one of the cogs, not the last one, but one of the most important cogs in that system is is the business aspect. And so recently, in the last nine months, we have been uh, literally hatching tree range farms, which is the the commercial consumer-facing brand that is in charge of contracting the chickens from the farmers uh, contracting processing at our processing out of processor out of Stacyville, Iowa, and then making those products available to the market, specifically, you know, grocery stores, con- institutional accounts such as you know colleges and universities, cafeteria services, uh, and users, which we do through uh, partners like uh, True Cost tree, uh, or TC Farms out of the Twin Cities and. Blue Nest Beef, which is our online distribution marketing distribution partner, so we wholesale to them so they can do direct sales, and then we direct deliver to the other wholesale accounts such as the co-op. So Tree Range Farms then becomes this this next stage in the, the evolution of their business ecosystem, where this is the priority. And so any any of these major pieces that we need to launch, what I do is I move into that space to oversee the the startup stages, the structuring, the deployment, and the and the, and the startup growth stages, you know, first five years or so, just like I did with the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance, now it's time for the tree range farms to become to to become a reality so that we can anchor the overall system um, on a market based uh, strategy. And so tree range farms is that next stage and that's what I'm in charge of now as of the beginning of uh, November. So your work is actually so um, exi- it feels exhilarating to me, and <clears throat> and I I love this phrase tree range. So it's kind of a play <laughs> on free range. But what does it mean tree range farms? Well, it's um it's a really good play of words 
that reflects the true nature of the natural habitat of chickens. I mean, chickens, all animals should be free-range, period. That's a no-brainer, right? If you're going to go regenerative, no animal should ever be in confinement, whether it's fixed confinement, like the big big barns that that uh, where turkey and chickens and pigs and cows are held, or whether it's move, movable confinement. So whether you move the coop, doesn't matter. The chicken is still in confinement. So for us, free animals is central to the beginning concept of moving into a regenerative system. And then beyond that, the restoration of the natural habitat of those creatures that we're going to raise for food. So if it needs to be pastures, extensive space for pastures, if it's going to be pigs and turkey and chickens, well, it's a forest. They are forest species. And for us, as we focus on on broilers, meaning meat birds, then um, that jungle-like blueprint of the chicken is central to beyond the free-ranging aspect that is, is like an it's like the, the 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 bottom line, right? If you're not free-ranging the animals, then you're not doing anything that is regenerative. And then if you are not restoring the animals to their natural habitat, then you are not really delivering the regenerative outcomes that those animals are able to deliver for us. And the health of the animals, the conditions under which they are raised, and the, and the, the effect of it on their health and their welfare and all of that, it's just not going to materialize. So for us, the trees are so central to the the ancestral habitat of the chicken, in this case, as our focus, that it just made sense. Chickens under the trees, the brand tree range, is a true representation of that ancestral way of thinking of that defines uh, this system. And in this case, that definition is, you know, basically defined by the chickens. So if the chickens have their way, they will be out under the trees, ranging freely, you know, hunting for this and that, you know, bugs and uh, foraging on the ground, on the ground growth. And so all of that has been codified into the tree range brand to be a true representation of something that is really regenerative rather than just a claim of something that we have done, but it's only partially moving in the right direction. We went all the way. Right. To looking at the this world is, from the perspective of the chicken. Right, moving towards authenticity and trust in our food system. And I, you know, Seward Co-op was one of your first um, customers too. And so, but what you're talking about is a completely new supply chain that integrates grassroots organizing of farmers with physical infrastructure and other regeneratively stacked enterprises. So um, let's have a food system that's kind and sane and honors um, core wisdom. And that one of the big core wisdoms is that, that we are connected to the chicken, that we are all sentient beings. And um, we're, we're going to take a bit of a break, but we're going to come back. And when we come back, that's what we're going to talk about is how we are connected to chickens. And if we're connected to chickens and have healthier chickens, then we might be healthier humans, both mentally, physically, and spiritually. So um, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
let's get it straight and not say goodnight. Let, let's have a joyful planet with um, sentient beings and, 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 and love and kindness and, and have a regenerative world. And how do we create that from the world that we're living in right now? And uh, very pleased to have joining us right now a person who's doing this in real life, in real ways. Um, Reginardo uh, Hazlitt Marking, and he's with now Tree Range Farms. And so, so Tree Range Farms is an economic model that sells chickens, but it's not only an economic model. Would you agree with that statement? Well, Tree Range is a business model, not an economic model. The economic model incorporates everyone in the in the regenerative poultry ecosystem, which of which Tree Range Farms is the the key business that performs the the contracting the, the the processing and then the delivery of those chickens to the markets, right? So that's one business function. And so as a, as a result, Tree Range Farms is a business model that is uh, also in alignment with the economic model of the whole system, which includes a lot more, it includes the farmers, it includes the processing facility, it includes the workers in that processing facility and how they how they are defining how chickens are being processed in their own working conditions so that there is no exploitation of people in that aspect of the bringing the product, I mean, in this case, the chicken all the way from the farms across the supply chain so that the integrity of that supply chain is, is held. And so we, you know, we are respectful not only of the animals in the field that we grow them, but also the trillions of other creatures that interact with those animals, microbiota in the soil, you know, trees and migratory birds that are also part of this ecosystem that, that at the end gives the, the, the whole system, um, at the end generates the components for the model uh, of the system rather than than just the, the one of the elements of the, of the whole ecosystem becoming um you know a expression of the whole model so basically it's a, a lot of components that form the model tree range is one of them the farmers are another sector the nonprofit that oversees the backbone infrastructure for training and support for the farmers and runs the processing facility that's another part of the business models you know all around sprinkled so that we at the end can have a an actual food system model that delivers this, you know, complete uh, supply chain integrity that we are so needing right now as as so many companies and businesses start barging into this space we call regenerative and that is being right now violated and colonized because of that lack of understanding of what truly is regenerative and just trying to pick a piece of it and turn it into a product claim so so that a brand or a company can have a facelift in the marketplace, but truly not representing this whole concept of regeneration that we were trained on as, as young people by our elders so that we could truly understand that there is this spiritual grounding that is a precursor to the economic, the social, and the ecological considerations. So-called triple bottom line is really a four bottom line, and the, and the one that defines the other three is the spiritual. If we're not spiritually grounded, all of these things we talk about are simply not going to be implemented with integrity. The level of integrity is necessary for true, true regenerative outcomes to materialize. So we're always going to be, 
approaching it from a colonizing mentality rather than from an indigenous holistic mentality. And this is central to understanding how we validate not only ancestral knowledge, but also the knowledge of the chicken. We were talking about knowledge. Well, the wisdom and the knowledge of the chicken is central to this. And only through the, through the, through the indigenous mindset can we actually tap into that knowledge because we have to be able to be, to be literally one with the, with the view of the animal of the world. And the chicken sees the world from a very different perspective than we do. And, and to the extent that we want that, that we are going to apply regenerative ways and regenerative ways of knowing and being, we have to be able to see that world. And the chicken sees, you know, in this case, the chicken sees a space out there where it needs to be protected from the predators from the air because it doesn't have the ability to do it unless there is that canopy above it. The, the tree ranging aspect, you know, the, the tree range branding is not just a, a label or a brand or a claim. It's actually a way of thinking and seeing the world from the perspective of the chicken. But then the chicken sees also potential forages out there. So then we have to codify the agronomics of how those forages can be also healthy and diverse so that the chicken has all of that extra supply of nutrition and so that they themselves will be more a full expression of their genetic potential. And as that is starting to happen, then all of the other organisms that interact with the chicken then can also be expressing themselves in the fullest extent that their genetic potential allows. And that includes the trees above them. So the hazelnut sees the world uh, from a whole different perspective. And it thinks, well, I need a lot of nitrogen and I need to bring it right into my trunk because that's where I absorb most of my nutrition. And so it creates this canopy and this entanglement of branches that creates that protection for the chicken so that the chicken will be attracted to the hazelnut. And so now we are seeing the world from both the hazelnut perspective and the chicken perspective. And as we go further and further in that, into that indigenization of how we think, how we know, how we learn and observe, then our minds really are able to see the other, all of that potential that the landscape is just eager to offer to us and that we ignore in the rush to get another buck and to, and, and, you know, and so on. And so, and at the end, it's even more profitable to think this way anyway. So, there's no reason not to do it, uh, but there is a lot of forces in our society that keep us from from exploring and from developing our innate intelligence, which is really the innate that defines the indigenous intellect, which is what we need to cultivate in order to be able to optimize our relationship with those beautiful animals that we then turn into food. And there's no no reason not to eat meat in the context of a spiritually grounded system that values and validates all of these different <clears throat> the different roles of the different organisms. And at the end of the day, everything is sentient. The earth is sentient. The chickens are sentient. The vegetables are sentient. The nuts coming out of the trees, those trees are sentient. The, all the microorganisms and microorganisms that make that whole soil web, those are all sentient. Everything is sentient. We are sentient. And we are simply in a cycle where, you know, sometimes we are food to other sentient organisms. We, if we die honorably, hopefully we will become compost that then will be used by other sentient beings. 
And in the process of that, some sentient beings become food to us, just like the chickens and like the vegetables, like the the the, the other things that we that we grow. Just because the the lettuce doesn't scream when you pick it, doesn't mean it's not sentient. It's just a different understanding from a more spiritually grounded sense of of understanding life. We're, we're going to need to take a break. Just, we're going to yeah. need to break. We're going to come right back and we're going to um, do more of a deep dive on this. Um, a sentient, we're all sentient. What if we had a food system that recognized all life is sacred? Um, we're talking about tree range farms and you're listening to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking about tree-range chickens. And very pleased to have joining us by phone, Reginald Haslett Markeen. And um, one of the things you said that the land in the last segment, that the land is eager to help us um, work in more regenerative ways. And can we have business? And one of the things you're working on is is having businesses that actually make more money per acre (laughs) – being respectful to water, microbes, and other sentient beings. By being respectful, we could actually make more money and be more likely to feed the world. Is that your opinion? Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you look at a farmer in, say, Guatemala doing this slash-and-burn agriculture, they, their crops deteriorate really quickly. They start um, – their they're, they're, the yields are lower. Their work is heavier the weeds are more aggressive there is more of that you know pressure to to spend time and money on dealing with stuff that wouldn't bother you if you were just learning how to have a more symbiotic relationship with it um and and the crops do better as well when you do say no-till and all that even though those are very minimal uh changes even those minimal changes increase the 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 the, the viability of the crops the resiliency the nutrient density even changes, even though slightly, there's still better, better quality coming out of those fields. And so if you go all the way as we have done with, say, the poultry, then, um, you gotta understand that the economics, the economics of, of food are directly attached to the, to the flows of energy in the planet. And we, we inherited, we inherited all of these magnificent systems working in perfection. In a way that we're balanced, um, you know, between the carbon movement through the atmosphere coming through the photosynthetic infrastructure of the planet, the leaves of all of the, all of the leaf-based species, you know, trees and shrubs and uh, vegetables and everything in the middle. And, um, and then that transformation of energy from CO2 and methane and photons and minerals and water transforming through photosynthesis that becomes this incredible diversity of expressions of energy in the form of cellulose and things that we can harvest and eat right away like apples and corn and and um you know nuts and vegetables that are directly the output of photosynthesis and then 95 plus percentage of the photosynthetic output of energy in the form of cellulose and so on is not edible to us, but is edible to trillions of other species, other organisms divided into millions of species out there from micro to macro, all the way from giraffes in the Serengeti, all the way to buffalo and cows in the Midwest, all the way to 
pigs and chickens all the way down to microbes on the bottom. And so the next stage of energy transformation is that of the animals with biting and chewing mechanisms, but then all of that energy that we can't harvest immediately is immediately turned into other expressions of energy, such as eggs and meat and so on and so forth. And then those, those, that next stage turns into molecularly simpler uh, systems of energy, such as, such as the, um, the uh, manure and, and urine from animals and feathers and other things that they produce, which then goes into the feeding the third stage of energy transformation, which is in the soil. When you look at all of that, that's a mass-scale economic system for you right there where the common currency is energy and it's all free. And what we have done is interfere with those cycles of highly efficient cycles of energy transformation, made them extremely inefficient, and now we spend loads of capital to try to fix the inefficiencies we created by eliminating the natural flow of energy. So as we restore those natural flows through these regenerative models, then we are restoring the efficiency of the flow of that energy, which is where we spend the money to begin with. Now, the, the, the problem we have now is not that regenerative agriculture isn't way more exponentially more efficient and effective at delivering us edible energy from thin air. The problem is that we created an artificial economic system that takes all of our collective resources and through through government and corporate subsidies those those uh, that capital then sustains the inefficiency which then is expressed in the form of mechanical efficiency which then we sold to us as actual efficiency when it's not mechanical efficiency doesn't result in energy efficiency and, right. and, and nature so let's, is very let's, efficient. So we have a food system based on monoculture and commoditization of food, not sacredness of food. And within that commoditization of food, um, uh, we have really caused uh, – we were very inefficient ecologically. I mean we don't have the insects, the microbes, and the health in our food, the nutrition level of our food has gone down. And we see so many multiple problems from cancers to diabetes to um, – Again, so many mental health problems, and a lot of this could be all interrelated with um, the whole way that the food system has been mechanicalized rather than made efficient, which is what indigenous people did, is they, they were efficient with their food systems. Right, and the, the, the problem with this terminologies and all of that is that we talk about the externalization of of. of of costs, right, such as the ecological degradation of the planet, you know, the the health-related, the food-related uh, diseases that are, are cost us billions. I mean, actually, probably trillions by now. Last time I I looked, it was already in the above five hundred billion dollars of health costs associated with food and all of that. And we call those externalities. The problem is that there is no such thing as externalities. Everything is internal to the global, the earth ecosystem. And so when we see ourselves as organisms and then paying, paying farmers and paying corporations to kill the planet, it is really so counterproductive to our health and to everything else and, and overall well-being of us and all the organisms that we are really literally subsidizing the destruction of our own capacity to survive. That's about the most absurd economic model I have ever, uh, I have ever, um, 
had a, an opportunity to to observe. Not only that, but in front of us is a magnificent system that requires none of those subsidies. Uh, and if we were to subsidize it, will deliver us incredible uh, outcomes in terms of better health outcomes, better nutrition in the food, um, you know, more abundant food. I mean, we are destroying the lakes and rivers and all of that in the name of food. We're destroying the very foundational ecology on which food production depends. And we're doing all of that in the name of food. That's It's really amazing. I mean, in, in, in Einstein's words, you know, the, what is the actual definition of insanity? This is about as, as insane as it gets. Totally agree with you, but how do we, and, and that's what the show is founded on, is this, how do we transition from a food system that's insane and unkind and um, to, to a sane, kind system? And that's one thing that I find so exhilarating about your work because you have a business model for doing it, and the business model makes farmers more money per acre than the industrial model that's killing our planet. Is, and that, that's what you're finding, Correct. Yes, but also remember that we make more money because we are connected to a market that values what we do. The conventional cheap consumer who's just looking for for the cheapest possible output from the land is is not what's going to deliver more money to the farmers doing the right thing. And so we still have a long way to go in terms of ensuring that the current farms, that yes, we are averaging between $4,500 and $6,000 per acre in uh, average as a whole, as a landscape. But a single acre of chickens is more like in the $30,000 per acre. So if you, you average it across, it's, it's about $6,000, $4,500 or so. But that's not really the important factor here. It's not about making money necessarily. It's about livelihoods, decent livelihoods, and honorable livelihoods. And a lot of times, money isn't the way you achieve those things. Now, we have to make sure that everybody's compensated fairly. And that is what we are demonstrating that can be done and deliver decent livelihoods for everyone. So rather than focusing on a system of extracting nature's value and people's value as a way to make a few companies very rich, super rich, that is not actually an economic well, it's, it's an economic model of extraction. What we are seeing is an economic model of wealth creation, where the wealth we create through regenerative systems is enough so everybody can have a decent livelihood, but it isn't a straight making more money kind of equation. We've got to understand that differentiation. But the beauty of it is that it's better for everyone. And as, it is, as we demonstrate that further, then the, our hope is that society as a whole will start embracing regenerative products in the market, just like our three-inch chicken, and all the, all the multitude of outputs that are coming out of our farms is not just about the chicken. We're stacking enterprises. So we have now significant production of garlic that is directly connected to the chicken, the use of the chicken manure, the hazelnut coming out of the fields where the chickens are roaming, the elderberries the elderberry juice that we can produce out of that, or the oil that can come out of the hazelnuts. I mean, the, the sheep that is actually ranging in the areas beyond the chickens, but we also put in the same species of, uh, for civil pasture system. All of that is part of the regenerative poultry center uh, overall design. And as a whole, yes, the wealth we create is much greater than any conventional farmer 
hands down. Now, the extraction is not the same. The conventional system can extract a lot more and probably make a company more per acre than we would because we are distributing that wealth instead of allowing a single entity to take out all of it and leave us the rest, the rest of us poor, malnourished, and hungry. That's the difference. It's not just about making money. And how many farmers do you have working with you now? There is 11 farms producing chickens as we speak. There is another 20 who are trained and coming. some of them coming online in 2023. And there is a, at least in total 50 farms that are either producing already, in the process of becoming uh, or producing, or in the process of being trained to deploy in 2023. And uh, you guys own all aspects. So you're actually also um, owning, you collaboratively own the um, slaughtering facilities or the processing facilities. Yeah, there are certain things that are better collectively owned, and there are some things that are better, you know, owned according to the model of this country, which is private property. So so in the case of the processing facility, it's, it's, it's chicken processing just is not profitable. Uh, not profitable up to a really large scale. And so for the time being, collectively owning it allows us to collectively also subsidize it so that it's viable, even though it's not profitable. Those are two very different things. So that way we can support each other that way. And then on the other hand, the farms. So some farms are owned by a person and then farmed by another person. We have a few examples of that in our system. Uh, so the, the landowner is not farming, but they can make that land accessible to some of the farmers joining our system. There's another situation where the farmer owns the land, and that's, that's preferred because it's more scalable. We can do a lot more of that. We can, uh, you know, allow, we can help farmers buy more land faster than we can find other options. And then the third is the collective ownership of, of land, but those are specialized projects that they are not entirely the norm, but so, they are very good strategies for okay. making land access. We're going we're gonna to need to take food. another break here, and we'll come back, and uh, we're talking about tree-range chickens. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and I'm Laura Hedlund. Welcome back to Food Dream Radio. I'm Laura Headline. I'm very pleased to be speaking today with Reginaldo Haslett Marquine um, with Tree Range Farms. And we're on our last segment, and I want to make sure that we just mention your background because it's so extensive. Um, you were the vice president, this is your full time job now, but you were vice president of Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Services, MOSES. You're a lifetime Ash- Ashoka fellow. Um, and then you also founded something called the Regenerative Agriculture in Northfield. Um, you worked for Mainstream Project, um, and you helped launch Peace Coffee. So, and you speak um, nationally and globally on these issues. What an interesting background! And you're the author of Green Man. I knew I was forgetting something. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know that that is such a beautiful background. So, um, can you tell me about how that experiences those diverse experiences? Help to create this, um, these um, this tree range farm business system. Absolutely, I mean, I mean, everything we are is defined by our history, by our experiences, 
by our teachings, by how we learn, how we live, how we relate. All of that defines who we are and how we, how effectively we are at doing our our work. And so, tree range, of course, is 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 the latest expression and is a focused expression of one component of a holistic way of thinking, which incorporates everything behind what a food supply chain our system um, should be delivering to us if it does it with integrity. And so the, 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 In the Shadow of Green Men, my book, was really more of a reflection on, on everything, on a lifetime of searching and experiencing life as a way to shape the mind, my mind and my spirit and my body even, um, but especially my spirit in terms of understanding the conundrum we have today in, in the modern societies where in the name of progress and in the name of, of economic wealth, we have become the, the most spiritually impoverished societies in the planet. And that spiritual poverty is, to me, the definer of most of our illnesses today because spiritual poverty results in, 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 in mental illness, results in mental illness, results in, in physical illness, which then spreads like a virus across the landscape because then when we are, when we are uncivil to others, then that incivility becomes, becomes like a plague. It spreads really fast and that <clears throat> next person that was treated poorly or that next creature that was treated poorly then becomes hostile to the next and then maybe 20 more and then those 20 to 150 more and so on and the exponential impact uh, in the degeneration of societies, uh, uh, that results from spiritual poverty is so massive, and we are now seeing it, observing it, and it's scientifically verifiable at this point in our history of human beings. So all of this history you're talking about, some of it recognized through their fellowships, like Ashoka Fellowship, um, because of the work I've been doing with Regina Poultry and bringing this kind of way of thinking and knowing and relating into an actual business and economic development model that can actually present an opportunity for not only our current generations to find better food, but also for us to preserve the ecological and um, spiritual and economic, um, you know, frameworks that actually can continue to deliver for the next seven generations and, as a result, improve improve the conditions for so that those future generations will have better chances. And so that's that's my role in this in this life. That's my that's that's who I am, and, and that, as I see myself in this blink of an eye that we call our lifetime, I wanted to make a contribution that was meaningful, and I prepared for it. I trained for it, so that when I get to this space where I am right now, I am not winging it. I'm not guessing. I am just doing the stuff that I was, that I developed myself to do. And as other people listen to this, I hope that. They they find their their own spiritual center and their own passion in life, so that they they will be a fuller expression of themselves. And that's all I'm doing. This work I do at Tree Range is simply as this, the the work that needs to be done in this larger context of creating systems change. And I'm passionate about it, and I will take the responsibility where the where the work sends me. Beautiful. I loved everything you said, and the only thing I'm feeling bad about is we're down to the last three minutes. And 
One of the things that you talked about, and I want to make sure we get in, is this idea of fourth dimension. So in monoculture, um, agriculture, you know, we only think of yields you know, on, 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 one, on one level. But you want to explain this, um, that, that what you meant by um, that an acre of land is a four-dimensional space? It's not just the one horizontal place that we can grow things, but it's the soil and how that captures carbon and it's the trees and more than that. Right. So remember the concept of energy transformation as a foundation of food outputs rather than production itself and the way we think of it. When you think of it that way, you're really engaging the biophysics and the chemistry of the planet, not just the horizontal, you know, understanding of an acre of land. And so you start from the, from the photosynthetic aspect of the space, which is way as, as tall as the tallest tree that you may have in your space. And it goes all the way down to as deep as the longer roots uh, in, in, in your space. And so it's really a three-dimensional energy transformation space that we are looking at, not a flat piece of land. We think of an acre more like a three-plus uh, thousand cubic feet rather than a 43,560 square feet. But also, it's not just about that. The three-dimensionality is about the spiritual grounding that allows you to see that so that you can achieve also the triple bottom line from the four-dimensional aspect of the landscape. So you start with the spirituality so that you can see the economics, the ecology, and the social. And those three, as we call the triple bottom line of impact investment or impact entrepreneurialism and enterprises, is only possible with the fourth dimension, which is the spiritual. So both the landscape and the way we interact with it from that four-dimensional landscape as well as a four-dimensional way of being. That's really what completes our regenerative framework. And we can create regenerative ways of living which brings more abundance to everyone and all sentient beings. Um, If people want to learn more, which uh, website should they go to? RegionAgAlliance.org is our backbone nonprofit. TreeRangeFarms.com is our our for-profit branding and distribution um, of the chicken products and the other products of the ecosystem. RegionPoultry.com is the training facility. And then with those three, you will find everything else. Oh, such a pleasure talking to you. And uh, thank you for all your work. And uh, at Regenerative Future, it's possible. It is possible. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but it is possible if we do the work now. Um, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio. Have an awesome week. Oh,